This is the Talking Devils podcast. This episode is a special interview I had with Ron Atkinson, the former Manchester United manager who I interviewed in 2019. A controversial figure I know, but a man I had to interview when I was writing my book, Case Rossera. And when it comes to football and Manchester United history, Ron and I had a, an interesting conversation about the style of play and why it might have had some previously unknown links to United's own history. I hope you enjoy the listen. I don't know how much you know about Jimmy Organ's connection to United, but Dave Sexton, Louis van Gaal, they learned from, well, they studied Mikkels. Um, whereas yourself, you was um, you were a student directly of Jimmy Hogan. Yeah. Jimmy Murphy was, yeah. and Tommy Doherty. And United, because Doherty, I think, was at Celtic with Jimmy Hogan. Ah, that's right. He was, a, he was manager at Celtic. Jimmy Murphy, before he actually went to United, yeah. went to, he was, when he was playing for Wales, yeah. he was in um, France, and he yeah. came across Jimmy um, coaching the Austrian side. I, I personally find it interesting that the three people who have worked directly with him have gone to United yeah. and played such an outstanding attacking yeah. style of football. And yet you've got Sexton and Van Gaal who were kind of students of him, but yeah. through a third party. Why, why do you think it is? What, what is it about Jimmy Hogan's style of football that's so... I think it was the way the way the way he put it over. I mean, in those days, like I'm a kid at the Villa, where you had about 15 teams or something like that, and you get in Jimmy's team, and Jimmy 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 was completely unique. I'd known what I spent a bit of time as a kid at Wolves when Wolves were with United, the two best teams in the country, and Wolves were very much based on statistics and fitness. Big pigs into fitness and some great players playing. They didn't play long ball, they played long passing. You know, that's how they played then under Collis and they were remorseless. Villa on the other hand, when I went training with Jimmy Hogan, it was a, it was all an eye-opener because everything was done with the ball. Everything, even, even running was done with the ball. You know, even a running exercise, you had to finish with, with a pass or something like that. Which at the time, it, certainly in, in British football or English football, was was not known. Yeah. The irony of it all was, and he got a lovely way of presenting it. You play in his team in the Birmingham League, and we we're all kids, and you'd be playing against a lot of ex-pros, like you know, it's a hard old league. And he'd be saying to you things. His standard saying was, "He'd get you." All, all the young lads, and as I say, we've been playing against a lot of experienced pros, and he'd be going, his standard thing was, wherever you are on the field, if we've got the ball, wherever we are on the field, we're attacking. Yeah. If they've got the ball, wherever it is, we're defending. And he used to talk to the midfield players or wing halves, he'd say, you've got to be like waiters in a restaurant, serving the wingers and serving the front players. Got a lovely way. I can't ever remember him swearing. Can't ever remember him swearing. The irony of it all was, you'd get in the reserves after that, and the trainer in the reserve team was an old uh, cloth cap, you know, the epitome of what used to be regarded as the trainer. 
And his standard line was, forget what Tip Tap does, told to give it some altitude. (laughs) 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 But every, you know, there was everybody, all the young lads, used to love playing for Jimmy, like, you know. And, like, obviously, like, you came through, like, Tommy, Tommy Doherty's sort of, like, his infamous, the recollection from players was that, Tommy Kavanagh would come in and screw up the, the team sheet and say yeah. it doesn't matter who we're playing against and and Doherty would never have any structured what the players remembered as structured training it'd be like um, yeah. five sides and, and a lot of emphasis on skills whereas Sexton and Van Gaal I know I'm using a modern comparison but only because he was a student yeah. of Mikel's they weren't so but they, they were more influenced by the theory of it yeah. do you think that that why they're renowned more as pragmatic well, coaches? Uh, maybe, I don't, I don't know, Rip. I mean, what I always wanted, I always wanted high-intensity training. I would sooner play a, played or trained hard for an hour and a quarter than slogged it out for two hours. Yeah. And the funny thing was, and I don't think he did it so much at United, but I remember talking to, um, there was a guy... What's his name? English, Ryan English, who was the medical officer with Mourinho at Chelsea. And I remember him, we were discussing things he did, and I said, Well, that's exactly how I used to work. Now, when I talked to Lou Macari about what went on at United with Mourinho, I was a big Mourinho fan, don't get me wrong. I thought, Whatever. But whether he stopped doing that at United, I don't know. Mm. I don't know because Brian English said at Chelsea everything was boom, boom, you know, lively, busy, busy. That's that's how I liked it to be. Yeah. Um, I think you you've also heard the story. I think I've heard you tell it. Um, one of the criticisms the players had of Sexton was over drilling routines, and it got to the point where he wanted them to do it a specific way, so the players would contrived to do it just so they'd get off the training pitch yeah so. yeah so you know I don't get me wrong I, I think like I said about Dave I wouldn't have a, a bad word said about Dave in terms of I've seen him work I was very impressed with him and a lot of people all have their own their own way of working and I mean like Cluffy you look at Cluffy's teams I think they were the most coached football teams you'd ever seen and yet he talked to people and said he was never there yeah you know, it's just, I paid a lot of money for you, you do that. Same when I heard people talk about the, the great Liverpool players. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, teammate teams. Um, so I don't know, there's all different ways you talk, you talk about. I mean, Howard Wilkinson had a reputation of being a long ball expert, a long ball you know, expert, if you want to use it, Graham Taylor, Dave Bathurst. People like that. But I can remember Howard Wilkinson at Notts County trying to play like Real Madrid. <laughs> I remember seeing them play at Anfield one night with a sweeper and playing 15 passes along the back. And I, I think Liverpool will just be abused at first thinking, how dare they? Yeah. And then decided to take action and beat them easy. But, you know, so pe- people tended to change... That was the one thing I liked. I liked enthusiasm and high intensity. Yeah. When you were brought into United, it was the first time that 
um, the personality of the manager was really considered a, an attribute because Doherty was so brash and outspoken, yeah, and yeah. then Sexton, in comparison, was so um, not not timid, but the, the 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 line was when Doherty was in a press conference, journalists didn't know what to put in, and when Sex, Sexton was there, it was the same, but for the opposite reason yeah. because he never spoke. Um, but I get different reports about your personality. This sort of big, bold, um, flamboyant guy. A lot of players said that that wasn't the case behind closed doors. That was a personality that you put on. Well, I, did, well, I think whatever whatever the situation was, you adapted to it. I don't know. Um, I, did, I didn't want to see people come into training camps, training grounds, if they're prisoner of war camps. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want people, I wanted people to want to be there. Um, what about the stage that was united? Was there a bit of confidence that came from that? Well, no, yeah, but I think where I had a bit of an advantage over when I went in was the fact I'd left a better team. You know, I'd left, I wasn't, I wasn't overawed by the fact that um, yeah. I was, I was, all right, it might have been di- different maybe if you'd gone to, say, Liverpool at the time or somebody like that that had won everything and they're looking at anything. But, you know, I knew the team I'd had had been considerably better than the one I, I was taking over. And that's why when I first went there, I said, you know, we need we need surgery. I mean, in my first year, I bought Robbo, Frank, did the Giddy deal, and I think there was one other... Um, but in the second year, you know, in the second year, I think we just we took Arnold Muren on a free from Ipswich, bought McGrath in from Shamrock, from uh, some Pats for about 30 grand. I don't remember us doing another deal in the second year. Mm. Um, but it was obvious, like when I got there, the, the better players who had been the mainstays, right, the McQueens, the Buckins, the Macaris. Sammy Mack to a lesser extent um, we sort of not past the post but we're going past the post Yeah, you know and they, they were getting a, quite a few um, getting a, any number of injuries Yeah, so that was where I mean when, like when we played United we used to look and think they've got a lot of weaknesses so when, when you when you go there you you're well aware of what those weaknesses are. The one thing that working with people changed my mind on a bit was the goalkeeper. Because I, when I went there, I, was, I made up my mind I was going to try and get Shilton from Forest. And I worked, because we'd always scored a few goals against Gary. And you tend to think, well, the blonde kid in goal must... But when we, when we went there and I worked with him for a fortnight or so, I went, oh, hang on, you're a lot better than I thought you were. Yeah. So that tended not to be a priority. Yeah. Um, what What would have been the weaknesses then when you were West Brom? What would you have said were the weaknesses in the United team? I thought you could get about them in midfield. Um, Martin, Martin, we had good pace up front of West Brom, Ali Brown and uh, Cyril. And we knew that they didn't like, they didn't like to be disturbed by people that ran, to use a modern phrase now, ran the channels. Yeah. You know, we were always looking to try and get our strikers in down the size of them. Um, 
We knew Martin didn't want to leave the middle. Martin would like to hang on to the last position. And, you know, that's not declining because he'd been a great defender for them for a few years. <laughs> we also knew when in doubt, leave Big Gordon with the ball. <laughs> oh, I've got a great story, Gordon. We played at Birmingham. And when I signed Robbo and Remy, I said, if it was one of the early games, I think it was my first home game, we played Ipswich. And so Big Gordon starts running with the ball, which I think is something that David maybe encouraged him to do. I think, I'm not sure. Because I don't remember him doing it at Leeds. Anyway, so that's, and I'm sure the, the Ipswich boys are a good side, you know, the Mills and yeah. Marino lot. I'm sure they were laughing. I'm bloody sure they're laughing. <laughs> and I'm going past. So anyway, we played Birmingham a year or two later, and Gordon Gordon gets the ball, and John Bond's manager of Birmingham, and he obviously he's done the same. If he gets the ball, leave him with the ball. So he gets the ball, Gordon, in the ten yard in the in our half, and he starts running. So they just back off. And I'm not, he gets to the halfway line and turns left. So he starts going along there. <laughs> so he gets to the, and then he turns, and he's going, he's going along the touch line. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Robbo, tackle him. He's now getting near the corner plate, he turns in, <laughs> and he's now coming in, and now they're still backing off. In the end, somebody thinks, well, He's now 15 yards from our goal. I think somebody ought to go and deal with him. <laughs> so they go out. And no, no, don't, no, don't, because I've seen him try and train. He tries to nutmeg somebody. <laughs> who wins the ball, flings it back upfield to, uh, what's the kid's name, Alan Clark? Wayne, Wayne Clark, his brother. Flip, flips it up to him. He breaks through, chips our keeper, hits the crossbar. Wow. <laughs> 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 And I'm sure he was being guided by the lights. So, you know, I, I mean, a lot of the uh, the key players had, had sort of um, had gone over, I thought they'd gone over the top anyway and needed refreshing. Um, hence, I mean, Joe Jordan had been the, the best player. He'd just left. He'd come to um, Milan. And virtually the day I got there, Mickey Thomas lasted seven minutes. You know, I've told you that one. Mickey comes in, I want to move. I said, you give me a chance. I've been there seven minutes. And I so, and I knew how it had tapped him anyway, so I said, well, we take Giddy. We'll do a swap deal. We love Giddy. Um, and I think that was it, I think. But I, I also thought they, they needed some something in midfield, some physical presence. Yeah. If, on, if only there were two players that you knew who could provide that. Oh. And then I, I can't if I told you the, the the Remy story. I'm at the Haydock Park. I'm staying at Haydock Park because that's where we moved to the, the post house. And I've got Frank Stapleton in the room, knowing Liverpool want him as well. And I'm I'm more or less trying to lock him away in that room. Yeah. In fact, I told Mick Brown, you stay in that passage all night tonight and make sure you don't get in a car and drive off to Liverpool. Anyway, so we're in the negotiation, we're dealing away. There's a knock on the door. 
Open the door. There's this little kid with the afro. Really? What are you doing here? Contract's up at West Bromwich. I've come to sign for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea, but look, um, I do happen to be tied up. There's my key. There's my room down there. Go in there and I'll see you later. <laughs> and it must have been two in the morning when it was on. And I went there and said, little man, I'm absolutely knackered. Yeah, I'll sign you. He said, uh, I said, I'll sort everything out for you. He said, oh, I know you'll look after me. And just went. He got a bloke. There was a bloke who was like an old bloke, Tom Corliss, who was on the Manchester scene. Not, nothing out of the ordinary, but I think he got that Irish Catholic sort of association. And that, although you'd never have guessed it, had some sort of contact towards um, Samat. And there was there was a bit of the Catholic thing, wasn't there, yeah. around the United and all that. Uh, what's his name? Paddy McGraw and all that. And Tom used to, Tom at West when I was at West Brom used to talk to me about things going on at United. And Tom called us the day I took the United, the day I'd agreed the United job, which wasn't general knowledge, rang me the next day said, you're coming up here, aren't you? Right out of the blue, and I went, well, bloody hell, do you know that? He was, he'd obviously got some sort of connections in, in, with certain people there. But that was Remy, and Robbo, I'd almost given up on Robbo. Yeah. Because Robbo had kept, Robbo tapped me. Robbo tapped me, because I knew United had tapped him when I was at West Brom, and I had to go him over it. And I said that, and I actually said, it's more said just that the only way you'll ever go to United is if I go now. Right. So the day I get the United job, he's out in Switzerland with the England team. Hungry. They've just drawn a beat in Switzerland. Remember when Trevor Brooking hit the shot that's stuck in the net? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That for that match. So he rings me. Gaff, I remember what you said. I went, Rob, oh, for Christ's sake, hang on, man. I'm just take the job, just be patient. And it must have taken, he was ringing me every day, or a third party was ringing me every day, and I'm saying, look, and he got to the stage where I didn't think, I genuinely, because I'm a great believer in things normally happen quickly. Yeah. If they're going to happen, they happen. If they don't, I know other things change, but I thought, that ain't going to happen. And I'd more or less thought, mm, I don't know, we'll, we'll maybe have to look elsewhere or whatever. And Bill Shankly came to watch us play Swansea. And I got Bill, to, took him in the office and had a cup of tea with him in my office before the game because he was a bit like a lost soul. And I said, go on, Bill, what would you pay for Brian Robson? Whatever it fucking takes. And I, that summer I went, yeah, you're right. And that's, and yeah, I told you about Sir Matt, then I have it. Yeah. Sir Matt resigned from the board yeah. over the Brian Robson deal. Just, he said, I can't come to terms now with what's going on in football. And he was great with me, Sir Matt, I promise you, Sir Matt was. He, he that's was a, I was going to ask you about that. What was the level of your relationship? Because previous managers, I think going before Docker, really, they complained about his interference. Yeah, well, Farrell, really. Yeah, I never... I, I mean, obviously, because I'm a great respecter of, like, legends in the game. I mean, I think, for argument's sake, Stan Collis never got anything like the credit yeah. he deserved at Wolves 
or as a national. I mean, for me, Stan Collis was up with all the the Busby's, Shankleys, all those, you know. Yeah. Um, never got that credit. So, so Matt to me was like, in the managerial things, like a god. But he was never, ever, um, certainly I never saw anything that I was thinking, hang on a bit, what's... Yeah. In fact, I remember when we got beat by Liverpool in the League Cup final, he came home, not on the team bus, on a general bus. I was sat with him with... And uh, to be on there, the wives and directors and things like that. Anyway, he said, don't worry, you're getting it right. You know, I always remember him saying that to me. And we used to have a mate at Oxford, the coach went home that way. We used to have a mate who had a pub in Oxford that we used to call Sir Matt. Uh, and we, I stopped the coach outside. <laughs> I said, would you come in here with me for just one? Um... I was talking about the personality earlier, and at United, especially around them, but it's been more in recent years as well, there's always like this fixation on the personality of the managers and how they come across. Do you think that that's fair, or do you think it's just part and parcel of being United manager? Um, if I had one criticism, and funny enough, I watched him last night, uh, Mourinho, he's done a thing for Sky, hasn't he, yeah. where he's... Yeah. And he's talking about managers, don't worry, really, you know, this, do that, do that. You've got to have charisma. That's what he's done. Now, if I had a, a criticism of Mourinho, and I wanted him to succeed big time at United, because of before, you know, he used to come on after the game, he's after the match conference, and he said, he'd just saying, say somebody had played well and beaten them. Beat us one nothing. We weren't at our best, but full marks to them. They played well. End of story. He'd go on and on and on. And when he when he did that thing about was it five? He did something with his fingers once to signify the number of trophies or something. Like yeah, that. it was three, three, three Premier And little Lou used to come in with me afterwards into the studio, and I go, "What's all that about? Why well, he doesn't need to do that?" Yeah. I mean, when he was at his best, he was bubbly and he was great comments and sharp and all that. But instead of just, he used to go on and on and on. And I don't know whether it's because he lost his number two. His number two left him, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And you just wonder whether his number two, because early on it wasn't quite like that. You just wonder whether his number two might have gone, hey, shut up. Yeah. Go easy a bit. That was an interview with Ron Atkinson. Again, not as long as our normal podcasts, but I'm sure you'll agree there was a fair amount of interesting information and at least some stories that aren't often discussed, which is why I felt it was worth sharing. Uh, Ron helped me with my book, Que Sera Sera, which is available now on Amazon and with Pitch Publishing.